Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. It's time for another classic episode, y'all. This one went out May 14th, 2012, and it was called Tech's Biggest Acquisition Stories. This has been a big part of a lot of Tech Stuff episodes, the idea of uh, companies acquiring other companies and how that changed the fate of both parties involved. Uh, in some cases, those companies go on to do great things. And in other cases, things fall apart, sometimes because the acquiring company has overextended itself. But this is uh, one of the, the episodes where I talk about, and Chris my co-host also talks about some of the biggest acquisition stories in tech history. So enjoy. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the big tech acquisition stories that we've had in the past. Uh, and this is prompted by a recent, as of the recording of this podcast, acquisition that made the news you know, in, in the last week, really. I think one of the funny things about tech acquisitions is there's... Uh, in a way, there's kind of two versions of tech acquisitions yeah. to, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things like the uh, the acquisition that you were just talking about, the uh, Facebook purchase of Instagram. For $1 billion. Um, and, and this is kind of a... This is a big deal for a number of reasons. It kind of struck me as funny, this, this deal. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to finish my thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but in this case, you have a, a situation where both companies are well known. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram has a lot of buzz going on about it right now. Plus, you know, everybody knows who Facebook is. Um, but then there are these other tech acquisitions where it's something like infrastructure. You know, some big company, and it's a big company, but it's somebody who makes something that people don't rush out and buy off store shelves. Right. Um, gets acquired by somebody else who's sort of in the same vein. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that investors talk about, but is not common. Um, and that was one of those things that kind of struck me as I started doing research for this podcast is you've got the big names and you go, so-and-so acquired such and such. Oh my gosh, what is this going to mean? And then you have somebody else who goes, wow, that was a $25 billion purchase. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but the big news the week that we're recording this is the Facebook acquisition of Instagram for $1 billion, a, a princely sum to be sure. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, it's that, got that, a lot that of might actually be That might actually be a kingly sum at that point. <laughs> um, yeah, it got, it got promoted. Uh, yeah, the uh, and, and for those who don't know, just so that we can get this uh, uh, all on the table, Instagram is a photo app. used to be iOS exclusive and then opened up recently for Android. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have it on my Android phone. I as well have it on my Android phone. And it is both a, an app that allows you to take photos and apply different filters to those photos so that you can make a good photo suddenly look really bad. Or uh, that's just me making some editorial comments. Well, no. I mean, it's supposed to – the idea is that you grunge it up so it looks – it appears as though it were taken on an uh, uh, older camera or maybe it's a, a former – uh, paper photo that's gotten stepped on and rubbed in the dirt. Right. I mean, it's it's done on purpose. Yeah, it's 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 kind of uh, bad because it's, it's kind good of to be bad. Distressed, if yeah, you will. Yeah, oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, it does. It gives it gives things a, a neat little twist, really. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's made a lot of uh, iOS f- fans happy that they can uh, it can 
do some some very simple filters, color filters on top of their photos that give it an appearance as if it's been edited, uh, you know, by someone who's fairly skilled in photo editing. But it's all you're doing is just choosing a filter. Yeah, it's really really simple, very easy uh, interface, and um, uh, and it's also not just an app. Uh, to lets you take photos, but lets you share them as well. So it's got a, a social aspect to it, where you can follow people on Instagram, mm-hmm. and then you can see as they uh, upload more photos, as they take more photos using Instagram, you can see them in a feed. So that way, you can kind of keep up with what's going on in that person's life, and that is the key, I think, to this to this acquisition. That's why Facebook was interested in Instagram because Facebook is all about. You know, social and photos as well, but its mobile interface has not been widely regarded as being easy to use mm-hmm. or good. <laughs> if we want to, <laughs> if we want to really boil it down, I mean, I personally don't have any problem with the Facebook mobile interface, but uh, I know a lot of people who use Facebook even more extensively than I do, which is hard for me to imagine, but they find that it's just not as robust as they would like. And part of that is the photo uh, functions. Now, I use a lot of other apps that lo- allow me to automatically push a photo to various social networks, including Twitter or Facebook. So for me, it wasn't as big a deal. But for people who don't use that or don't have that option, uh, Instagram gave them the ability to take a photo, put this filter on, share it with uh the social network, and now with Facebook's purchase, they're going to be able to share it with Facebook itself. Or maybe Facebook will just integrate Instagram's uh, uh, functionality into its own mobile apps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, from what I've read, the uh, the whole idea is to leave uh, Instagram sort of on its own. Yeah. Um, and Facebook actually has a reasonably good track record of doing that. Uh, I remember um, being a fan of FriendFeed when Facebook acquired that. Uh, some time ago, and they said, um, oh, well, we're pretty much going to leave it alone. We just want to incorporate some of this technology into Facebook as well, and that we wanted to, to get these guys for their expertise and add some of this functionality to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people on FriendFeed were going, oh, well, this is the end. This is the end. And really, they didn't mess with it um, yeah. as much. But uh, but it is kind of funny, because different companies have different uh, takes on it. Um Jonathan and I first started talking about this podcast as being uh, our take on Instagram, but I think it's kind of been um, done in pretty much every tech channel, why they were doing it and all, yeah. and all these things, and uh, what happens if you don't like it. There are a lot of Facebook uh, people who don't like Facebook taking over Instagram because they uh, – um, you know, they just said, well, they're going to ruin it. Kind of like they didn't like the Facebook-Spotify partnership. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there have been uh, lots of, well, if you don't want to use Instagram anymore, uh, here are some alternatives. I installed a couple of them, like StreamZoo and Pixlr-O-Matic and some of those. And they, they sort of do the same kinds of things. There are all sorts of alternatives if you don't want to use Instagram anymore. But, you know, I think I felt like this would be an opportunity to talk about some of these these acquisitions in the past because um, they've all taken different kinds of turns. Um, some have been very hands off. Some have been very hands on. Some have succeeded. Some have flopped miserably. Yeah. Um, so and, we, we wanted to talk about some of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and we've got a whole bunch here. Uh, I want to I want to credit someone before we get too far into this, because okay. a lot of the. Pretty much all the information I pulled, mm-hmm. I pulled from a spreadsheet that uh, a Wired writer named Andy Bayo 
uh, created. He he created this amazing spreadsheet where he he just sort of uh, trolled the internet, not in the negative you stink kind of way, but rather the in grabbing the fishing sort of way, right? Getting all the information you can for info about various big tech acquisitions, and these are the ones that are really the kind that that get the notice of users because it's the the recognizable brand names, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but he pulled them all together, and he went so far as to even compare how much the reported acquisition amount was versus how many users the service that was acquired, how many users it had. Uh, he broke down what the cost per user was mm-hmm. based on that information, and even how many employees the service had and what the cost per employee was. Because when you think about it, these acquisitions, some of them, like Instagram, that's a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Instagram did not have a lot of employees, uh, that 13 employees, according to Andy's uh, research. Mm-hmm. So 13 employees and a billion bucks. He estimated that that was about $77 million per employee. Now, that doesn't mean that each employee of Instagram is is taking home a cool $77 million because the CEO and the head of Instagram are taking down about half a billion dollars together. So that's so about 50% of that purchase price went to the uh the guys in charge of Instagram. But still, you're thinking that's like winning the lottery. You know, yeah, you're working is. you're working for this, you're working in a small tight group and you get acquired for a massive amount of money. That's kind of like that was the dream of the whole dot com bust, too. There are a lot of companies that were starting up that were trying to be really small and nimble and get acquired by bigger companies. Mm -hmm. And some of the uh, some of the stories we have, some of the um, the acquisitions we can talk about happened before the dot com crash, including a a couple from Yahoo that I wanted to talk about. Okay. so back in 1999, Yahoo made uh, two really Big acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, the first was in January of 1999 when Yahoo purchased GeoCities. Yeah. Now GeoCities was sort of a, a place where you could build your own web page. Yeah. And, uh, and it was laid out like a city, like they had neighborhoods and everything, and and it was kind of a, uh, it was kind of like the place where people would build a website before there were really social networks. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Um Maybe some of you don't remember necessarily what uh, what the World Wide Web was like. I was going to say the Internet, but let's get, stick with the World Wide Web. Yeah. Um, back in, in the mid to late 90s, um, people didn't necessarily uh, intend to go – I mean, the Internet was still sort of a new concept for people, and they wanted to know, what can you do with this? Yeah. I mean, email is a fairly reasonably easy concept to understand. Yes. Um, and you know there were others that were more difficult things like um usenet for example yeah um Dat- and then, databases that weren't the most intuitive yeah uh, as far as user interfaces are concerned mm-hmm. so i mean at the time geocities was kind of a a, a neat deal because 
it allowed people to create their own websites without having to learn how to code HTML. And there yeah. weren't a lot of tools, um, you know, things like uh, WordPress.com or Blogger or, you or, know, the journaling sites, which is, I think, sort of what a lot of GeoCities pages were like. Or even WYSIWYG editors. Yeah, uh, exactly. Which is Dreamweaver or uh, yeah. before that, Go Live or so, even, even PageMill, stuff like that. And WYSIWYG, just in case you don't know, is what you see is what you get. Yep. Where the edit that you're making on the screen, you what you're looking at on the screen in your edit mode is you can be reasonably confident that's what's going to show up if you were to navigate there through a browser. Mm-hmm. Back I, in the old days, we had to do everything by code. Yeah, well, I, I should clarify, too, because I was using some WYSIWYG editors back in the late 90s. Yeah. But they, for the most part, they were they came in two flavors. Um, fairly trustworthy, but very expensive, uh, like like Dreamweaver, like hundred junk. a couple hundreds of dollars, or yeah. uh, you could you could buy um there were a couple of them that were you know in the forty to fifty dollar range, but they inserted junk code and the pages would break depending on what browser you were using or sometimes not depending on what browser you're using yeah um and uh, they were just and you'd have to do this and upload it to a server not everyone is comfortable with FTP and and knowing how to do this and GeoCities was sort of a pioneer in this space yes you know hey. Throw this content up there and make new friends in your neighborhood. Okay. So the acquisition went for reported about oh three point five seven billion dollars. Yep. Three point five seven billion dollars, people. That's that's three point five seven times more than the Instagram acquisition. And those were in you know that was a, a, about fifteen years rounding off. Yeah. And earlier, this, so, so that was that was significant. So here's the problem: is that GeoCities that was probably right at the peak of GeoCities popularity. Yeah. Uh, and then before too much longer, there was a shift in the way people use the web because before the dot com crash, a lot of the websites on the web were very static. Mm-hmm. So you would build a web page, and it would pretty much stay that way for months at a time. You wouldn't necessarily add new material because it was kind of a pain to do it. Mm-hmm. And really, most people weren't thinking of the web in that sense. They were thinking of the web kind of like a book. You would go, you would read a web page, and just like if you were to read a book, you wouldn't go back necessarily unless you just truly enjoyed the web page. But there wouldn't be any new material there because it wasn't dynamic. Mm-hmm. But that began to change right around the same time that Yahoo made this purchase. And, of course, today, GeoCities no longer exists. So that's a $3.57 billion purchase that eventually fizzled out. Now, mm-hmm. it stayed around for a while. It's, yeah. not like it, it's not like it died immediately after Yahoo purchased it. And uh, Yahoo got more community-oriented as a result of it. Yeah. I wouldn't say that, that it was a, uh, a complete failure on Yahoo's part in as much as um, the idea really uh, of GeoCities really did propel things forward in the social space. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, in a way, you go, okay, well, they spent a lot of money and then the service shut down. Yeah. In, in that in that regard, you know, strictly on that place, then, I, yeah. I know that whenever you look <laughs> at, at Yahoo as an analyst today, because Yahoo is a company that has, right. has been struggling mm-hmm. over the last couple of years, um, and you start looking back on deals like this, it's very easy to point fingers. Sure, but, sure it is. But it's even easier to point a finger at Yahoo's other purchase in 1999. Ah, uh, yes, Broadcast.com. Which was a an internet radio company. Broadcast.com was... Uh, so back in the 90s, uh, 
there were there were a couple of people who were thinking about the possibility of broadcasting radio over the internet, mm-hmm. and it you know started looking into what they would need to do in order to do that. And eventually, this uh, company began um, the company that would become Broadcast.com, and uh, uh, had a, a fellow eventually leading it named uh, Mark Cuban. I feel like I've heard that name somewhere. Before. Yeah, you might have. Anyway, Cuban he. Uh, he was leading Broadcast.com when Yahoo approached to purchase the company for a amazing $5.7 billion. And when I say amazing, there are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, that's that's a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. But second of all, the uh, the company had about, according to, to Andy over at Wired, mm-hmm. had about 520,000 active users. Yeah. So – just over half a million active users, $5.7 billion to essentially acquire those half million users. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping in mind that you know the idea was that these services would be rolled out into other parts of Yahoo and become a bigger role. Yeah. But, um, but still, if you were to break that down, as Andy did, uh, I like to call him Andy, uh, as Andy did for, uh, for the purposes of his article, he determined that that means that they spent almost $11,000 per user Buying that that company, yeah, and um, uh, so that's you know that's just it's crazy how how much money that is. I mean, it's for, per user. Like you, you could have walked up to each person and said, "If I give you ten grand, will you come to my site every day?" <laughs> and the person would be like, "Yes," <laughs> and that might have been more effective because. The broadcast.com features, they did get rolled out into some other Yahoo features, but yep. most of that stuff no longer exists either. N- not as not as it did then. No, no it, it got incorporated into other things. It's, it's essentially lost now. Yeah. Like it's, it's so buried in other, uh, other products that you can't even recognize it anymore. And, yeah. and I think the Yahoo broadcast acquisition by many is regarded as the biggest mistake in acquisitions ever. And that's up to, against some pretty stiff competition. Well, it did give uh, the Dallas Mavericks another shot yeah. since Mark Cuban bought them and has spent a lot of money on them. Yes. They've gotten quite good. But yeah, $5.7 billion for that company. And um, uh, uh, I should add that uh, there's something else we need to talk about just very, very briefly. I'm just, mm-hmm. I just want to address this. Sure. Some mm-hmm. people may be thinking, hey, what about AOL and Time Warner? That was... Uh, that was that was often talked about the worst deal in tech ever, uh, but we should point out that was a merger, that was not an acquisition. It was a merger, and it was a uh, it was sort of a tech non tech thing. Yeah, because so, uh, you know it merged, if you will, the uh, uh, digital world with the um, old media world. O L D E, old media. Yes. Um, uh, uh, uh. But uh, you know, if you if you think about it, though, they were Yahoo was at least thinking ahead. Uh, the idea of streaming media, the idea of uh, social uh, websites, they they were uh, able to identify these things. But they were you know pre dot com bubble bursting uh, situations too. Yeah, uh, yeah because this was the the late you know nineties, which was right before the bubble burst. It's definitely frustrating in a way because you look at what Yahoo was doing and you think they were moving in the right direction. Yes. It was just it was just slightly the wrong. It was by 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 the 
the number of like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. If it had been a year and a half later after the dot-com bubble had burst and Yahoo, assuming that Yahoo had been able to weather the dot-com bubble well enough, and I mean, the company's still around today, so even after making these massive deals. Um, they might not have had to spend as much. Yeah, and they might have might have been able to invest in similar products mm-hmm. yes. that would have been more attuned to the and I hate to use this buzzword, web 2.0 approach mm-hmm. to the way the web works. Well, should we stick with Yahoo then? Sure, we can talk a little bit more. Uh, yeah, they, they've they made some other purchases that actually did quite well for them, or at least are, are still very popular, like Flickr. Yes. That's yes. Uh, you know the photo sharing and uh, photo album uh, database site. Mm-hmm. And uh, Flickr, I think, is one of the more popular ones that's out there. Yeah, um, although I did read in... Uh in my research that uh, some people have been upset that Yahoo didn't really do anything with Flickr. Like they were expecting them to take it the next step and Flickr sort of stayed the same and yeah. hasn't really innovated much. That's since true. It hasn't changed much. And, and as other social networks like Facebook and Google Plus have become more popular and even Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that photo sharing and photo storage stuff has been offloaded onto those. Mm-hmm. So sites like Flickr and also Google's Picasa, which mm-hmm. never, I don't think was ever anywhere near as popular as Flickr was. Right. Um, but Google's Picasa also have, uh, have sort of taken a hit. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess Google Picasa less so because that is what Google Plus uses as its foundation yeah. for, um, for photos or but, photo bucket, one of the two. Yeah, yeah. Well, as a contrast, we're talking uh, 1999 when Yahoo was spending billions of dollars for these acquisitions in yep. 2005. And I would argue that Flickr, in a way, uh, is probably way more popular than either of those two products were, that they acquired for multi-billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, Flickr was acquired for $30 million. Yeah, much. So that's a big... Change. Yeah, a much more modest uh, acquisition compared yeah. to the billions of dollars they spent uh, just a few years earlier. And I think, yeah, I think that was much more wisely spent. Yeah. In that case. And the uh, the acquisition the same year of Delicious for thirty million dollars too, which I think was done again with the best of intentions. Yeah. The link sharing sites are. Still popular. I think they were in ways forerunners to uh, Twitter. Yeah, um, because they were supposed to be social link sharing sites, but I, I use mine more for hey, I want to save this because uh, I'm going to look at it later. Let me save this, and I don't really want to share it with anybody because it's you know I just want to remember to read it. Yeah, there <laughs> there are a couple of these link sharing uh, sites that are on these acquisitions that we can talk about, and but, uh, and and a lot of them have kind of faded away. They're still yeah. they're still. Um, I think Reddit is really the only one that I I habitually go to now. Mm-hmm. I I don't. I don't tend to use Dig anymore. Yeah. And I don't don't really use Stumble Upon and yeah. I don't really use Delicious. So Well, Delicious was one of the early sites like this. Yeah. And I think uh Yahoo had intended to make something big out of it, but they ended up uh planning on shutting it down until com- uh people complained about that so much that they uh found someone to uh to let it go to. Yeah. Um so it, another one of those things that's just sort of you know, pass right on through. Chris and I have more to say about tech's biggest acquisition stories, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. How about we talk about eBay? Okay. Because eBay's also made some pretty big acquisitions in the past. Uh, One of them was in 2002 when eBay bought PayPal. 
Yeah, that was the most uh, synergistic of all of these, if you'll pardon the uh, corpse speak. Right, yeah, it's the one that fit the best into what eBay does. I mean, PayPal, obviously, if you want to have a, a service that allows you to set up an account to purchase things online, and you have a site that is all about selling things online, then there is clearly some... Uh, some complimentary overlap going on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so eBay bought PayPal for about $1.3 billion. Um, and uh, sounds like a lot of, of uh, money. I mean, it is a lot of money. But sure. there were over 15 million users of, of PayPal. So there was already a big established user base there. It's much different from Broadcast.com, mm-hmm. where it only had the half million. So that that purchase actually seemed like it was a pretty good idea. Yeah. You know? And uh, there are plenty of people who still use PayPal. Now, granted, PayPal over the last couple of years has had a couple of uh, controversial news stories pop up, mm-hmm. generally about uh, – there's been some about PayPal uh, offering money – not offering money, but PayPal uh, 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 administering over payments to illegal sites or sites that are selling uh, 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 what uh, – Pirated stuff or mm-hmm. um, uh, that kind of thing, and then there's also uh, some other arguments about PayPal requiring people to go through some pretty crazy steps in order to get money back. Like you've heard the story about the violin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a guy purchases a viol- purchases a an antique violin, and uh, it is truly an antique violin for a couple of thousand dollars, as I recall. And then is for some reason or another unsatisfied with the purchase and wants the money back. But PayPal says that in order to get the money back, they have to have proof that he destroyed the violin. He has to actually break it because mm-hmm. PayPal doesn't want to refund money and then have the guy just keep the violin anyway. And then he has the violin and the money. So the guy goes and takes pictures of the destroyed antique Violin, mm-hmm. so something that a lot of people would argue has a lot of intrinsic value in it and should not have been destroyed, was destroyed because of this this uh, procedure, this whole this policy that PayPal had. Right, and uh, so that's an example of some of the bad press PayPal's had in the past couple of years. Uh, but still, it's uh, again a very popular way of of uh, uh, processing transactions on online. Now, eBay also made some other. Uh, acquisitions over the last few years. In 2005, eBay purchased Skype, the VoIP client, uh, voice over internet protocol client, uh, for $2.6 billion. And this was one that had people scratching their heads. Me included. Yeah, because the question was, why would a, an online auction site purchase a VoIP company? And, yeah. and there were there were some talk of possibly incorporating it into the auction uh, uh the auction features itself so that potential buyers could speak with sellers uh, while they were considering bidding on on objects. But that never really happened. And um, uh, also eBay eventually started to move a little further away from the whole auction model Mm -hmm. and move more toward almost like an online retail center. So more like Amazon than it used to be. I mean, they still do the auctions as well, but that's not necessarily their primary focus anymore. Right. So Skype uh, seemed like it might have been a good idea to eBay early on, but I think a lot of people now 
think of the eBay purchase of Skype as one of the big mistakes in tech acquisitions. Yeah. And eventually, eBay sold Skype off. Now, first, they just sold off uh, the controlling interest to uh, a group of investors and then eventually divested themselves of pretty much all of their interest in Skype uh, to a, a little company uh, that uh, you might have heard of. It started off in a garage. Uh, it's called... Um, Oh, they like conquistadors. <laughs> Microsoft, that's it. All right, so uh, yeah, just just to provide some context, um, when eBay acquired uh, Skype in 2005, it spent 2.6 billion dollars. But uh, when when um, Microsoft bought it in 2011, uh, Skype's value had increased. Uh, Microsoft was willing to pay 8.5 billion dollars. Yeah, that's a. Um eBay did well with that auction. Yes, it did. I, I think I think actually Microsoft sniped the uh, <laughs> that that at the very last second. Yes, uh, they they are. I would say eBay is a power seller. Well, you got to think about it. I mean, Skype is a very popular voice over internet protocol uh, service, right? Yeah, and and that's a very valuable asset to have. And Microsoft had to be worried about other companies possibly jumping in there. Mm-hmm. I can think of two right off the top of my head that would have been very interested in Skype. Oh, Face- yes. Facebook is one, yep. and Google is the other. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Um, and uh, possibly somebody else named after a fruit. Um, Apple. Commodore is not named after a fruit. <laughs> uh, there was one other acquisition uh, that EB- eBay made, and this kind of ties into what we were talking about with Delicious and Yahoo earlier, which was StumbleUpon. Oh, yes. It's another uh, discovery site, and they, they bought it for uh, $75 million. And, um, yeah, that's another one that kind of – I mean, it still exists. Yeah, they they haven't uh, – I don't. I wouldn't say they've necessarily mismanaged it or anything, but it hasn't – it's sort of neither taken off nor bombed. It's just sort of still there. Yeah, it, you know, there's some times where you, you encounter – Multiple companies trying to compete in the same space, and you might have one or two uh, front runners, and then everyone else is just kind of there. And this is one of those cases. Okay. So yeah, where would say so? Where would we want to go from here? Well, you know, it's funny because uh, as we've been talking, I, you know, we had a, quite a list of of these, um, some that I collected and some that you collected, and yeah. um, these are all kind of juicy. So we can, you know, uh, talk about. Uh, should we talk about the eight uh, hundred pound gorilla? Sure. Um, being Google. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I, was, I was like, yes. Well, they, <laughs> Google has a, a pretty good track record of. Uh, well, there there's some companies that are more acquisitive uh, than others. Let's say that. Acquisitive. Acquisitive. Nice. Um, yeah, I got to use that degree in English for something. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, they've they've they pick up more than I would say just about any other tech company. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they tend to be more, uh, let's say flamboyant purchases. Like for example, Blogger back in 2003, mm-hmm. uh, which they picked up for $20 million. Yes. Um, this was, that was a good time. This was an example of a, a good purchase at a good time. Yeah. Because that was right as the, uh, the blog thing began to take off among, I would say the masses. Yes. Yeah, when it became kind of a phenomenon. Do, 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 do. <laughs> I would have if he hadn't. Um, and, you know, they added, they continued to add other. Uh, Google is good at picking out services that complement existing services and, and, and companies they think that will fit well within their portfolio, like Picasa yeah. um, in 2004, which they acquired for $5 million. 
um, you know, Dodgeball in uh, 2005 was also on uh, Mr. Bayo's list. I, I don't know him well enough to call him Andy. So, yeah, Dodgeball... Two point five million. Dodgeball and another service, Jaiku, which they purchased in two thousand seven for twelve million. These are these are good ones to point out because these are failures, really, for Google. I, I Essentially, don't, I don't know that if I don't know how Google portrays them, right? But I know that you know from the outside they look like failures because you've got Dodgeball, which, uh, which a location sharing. It was a location sharing application. Mm-hmm. Uh, company and in fact, the people who were behind Dodgeball eventually left Google and founded a different company mm-hmm. called Foursquare. Wait, don't you play that with it? Oh. No, it's a different kind of Foursquare, not the game, but the, the the check-in service. So Dodgeball never really went anywhere, and in fact, the the people behind Dodgeball were very frustrated by this, which mm-hmm. is why they went on eventually to to found uh, Foursquare because that was. Probably something closer to what they had imagined when they started Dodgeball than what it turned out to be. Right. Uh, Jaiku is a short messaging service kind of sharing uh, uh, model, sort of like, oh, there's another company that does this. Um, Do we? Oh, that's right, Twitter. Yeah, so Jaiku was uh, Google's, well, Jaiku was Jaiku's answer to Twitter, but Google purchased Jaiku, and then, uh, or Haiku, if you prefer. Yes. But, uh, that never really went anywhere either. It had it had its you know dedicated users who loved it, but it never really grew like Twitter did. Twitter exploded and Jaiku sat there, and so that um, Jaiku's no more, right? Yeah, I, it, it, I went the other day, uh, actually before we discussed this, and it's it is gone. Hey guys, it's Jonathan from the future, and I just wanted to tell you. Oh wait, sorry, I I'll have to tell you later. I'm getting acquired. Uh, let's take a quick break. Perhaps the most famous acquisition Google has made, besides uh, Motorola Mobility, yes. which we're not really covering in this, uh, is YouTube. Yes, 2006, $1.65 billion. Yeah, and that's a, that's a lot of clams. But then YouTube, oh, had, yeah, YouTube had a lot of users, like over, over 34 million active users when uh, at the time of the purchase. And it, it was, you know, Google was looking ahead saying, in a way, YouTube is also kind of a search engine. Yes, it is. People go onto YouTube and they they will they might you know browse around, but often you go in and you plop your cursor in the search bar and you type in some stuff and you hope that the videos that come up pertain to what you were typing in. Mm-hmm. And so um, it it made sense in that in that respect. And uh, in fact, eventually, you know, Google had its own Google Video. Yeah, uh, service for a while, and then uh, they eventually uh, got rid of that, and so YouTube is just the the whole Google Video thing now. Uh, but it's uh, that that's one that was very controversial for a while because uh, while the one point six five billion dollars wasn't the largest amount of money spent on a tech company, and it wasn't that they didn't have a lot of users, uh, there was another problem, which was just that YouTube really wasn't making a whole lot of money. Like it's hard to make money. When you're dealing with a service that's that's that big, well, uh, YouTube has another thing that's uh, playing against it and making money, which is um, that it requires. Uh, I was going to say boatloads. Let's go with maybe shiploads of bandwidth. Yes, and and not only that, but 
servers. Yeah. A lot of a lot of physical machines are required to keep YouTube going. And, and video video is uh, resource intensive. Yeah. Um, it takes a, it uses a lot of data, and uh, especially now that they've got HD high, uh, high definition video takes up even more space. Yeah. So you've got lots of of hardware using lots of electricity and lots of bandwidth, and somebody's got to pay for that if you're going to keep this stuff up. And if you if the users aren't paying for it. Than the company is, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I a startup may not have been able to handle paying for it at the way that YouTube has grown, but Google can, yeah, and they can sell ads alongside it, yeah, and which that, they do, and yeah, it's it's you know, we talked about in our YouTube podcast, we talked about how uh, these you know, the, the company ends up seeing something like forty eight hours of material uploaded every minute mm-hmm. on YouTube. It's probably even more than that by now. Uh, so when you're talking about that level of of uh, uploads, you know that quantity that's coming in, you need to have a nice big company behind you to make sure that there's a uh, a foundation, a solid foundation there. And uh, you know, YouTube is definitely one of those things that have has just become increasingly popular over the years. So you could say that it's a great acquisition in the sense that if it were to go away, that would be bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's probably still one of the ones that that vexes Google the most in that balancing the revenue issues versus the maintenance and overhead issues. Plus, there are all the lawsuits that are related to YouTube that have to do with uh, intellectual property theft, yeah. where you've got all these companies that are accusing Google and YouTube uh, for, of, um, of harboring pirates and allowing people to upload pirated or, or at least uh, uh, unlicensed copies of content to YouTube, mm-hmm. and uh, so we've been seeing a lot of that in the news recently too about the the stories about the court cases involving uh, whether or not YouTube knowingly harbored material that violated intellectual property rights, mm-hmm. or if uh, if the company was acting in the best interests of both its users and intellectual property rights owners by requiring people to take down videos or taking down the videos for them that violated those policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, it's a big mess right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I wanted to talk about the uh, the uh, uh, some of the acquisitions that we don't necessarily think about as being exciting. Excellent. Uh, one of those is uh, what happened just last year when we're recording this, 2011. Uh, in 2011, Texas Instruments bought National Semiconductor. That for, fails to excite me. Yeah, ex- exactly. This is not the kind of thing that... Um, you know, if, if Apple bought Facebook, well, I mean, I'm just saying like two big names that lots of people are interested in. Yes. Uh, people love and hate both of these companies. Texas Instruments and National Semiconductor, that's, that's big news. That's a big yes. deal. $6.5 billion, that's a lot of money. Yes. But it doesn't make the same kinds of headlines as two popular, uh, you know, companies that make the news every day and people yeah. spend money on and yeah, it lacks that emotional investment yeah. that yeah. comes from uh, these other deals that are not as big when you look at it from a monetary standpoint, but they seem to be bigger because they are impacting stuff that we interact with on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. Then there was 2009 when Oracle bought Sun Microsystems. Oh, I remember uh, 7. that. Seven point four billion. Mm-hmm. Um, that was. That was huge news for anyone who knew what was going on. Yeah. Like there, yeah. there were engineers who were freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, that, that calls into question a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. Um, Larry Ellison, uh, the head of Oracle is another one of those. Um, He's a character. 
That's a really nice way to put it. We're going to have to do an episode on Larry Ellison, and I think half of it will be bleeped out. Yeah. <laughs> and those will just be the quotes. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a character, and a lot of people who are uh, fans of Sun, the traditional Sun uh, Microsystems company, uh, were very upset that yeah. Oracle was, was buying them for a number of reasons. But there was a lot of technology behind that. Uh, too. Some of it open source mm-hmm. um, that they were really afraid that Oracle was going to, to do away with. Um, I remember Hewlett Packard buying Compaq mm-hmm. in 2001 for $23.5 billion. Yeah. Uh, I, was a little, I was a little stunned by that one. Yeah, um, and then we got stunned again when, when HP talked about spinning off its, uh, its PC business. Well, then, of course, you know, Hewlett Packard bought 3Com for $2.7 billion mm-hmm. back in 2009, which ended up being a big meh. Um, and, and it didn't really, it wasn't a thing for a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, trying to look for something else that people might have uh, been interested in. Oh, I do have uh, when JDS Uniphase bought SDL mm-hmm. in 2004, almost $41 billion. That's a lot of that's, that's a lot of money. a big chunk of change. But again, and it's a huge uh, tech acquisition, but it's not the kind of thing that uh, for a lot of us, uh, those of us who listen to this tech podcast, um, you know, are more interested in sort of the uh, tech and people thing. And yeah, yeah, it affects a lot of people, but it's on the back end of right. things, it's not in, on directly. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of us are going, well, okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's a lot of money, but... How does that affect me? And for a lot of us, it's it's not something that that uh, we notice or touch on a daily basis. Yeah. So uh, I did want to. We'll close this out really quickly here. Okay. But I did want to say that um, we have to talk about News Corp and MySpace. Okay. Because this is another one of those uh, those moves that at the time seemed like it made sense, but as Kinda, yeah. as it played out, it just did not work. And that was that. News Corp is the parent company of, of Fox News, among other companies. Yes. And uh, News Corp purchased MySpace in 2005 for $580 million. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, MySpace was... That seemed like a steal. It was incredibly popular. It was the online social network. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the place where you would go if you wanted your eyes to bleed and listen to terrible music, because that's what everyone seemed to do with their profiles. But that was user behavior, not the fault of the service itself. Exactly. And then Facebook came around. And most people, I think at the time, maybe not most people, but a lot of people at the time, bet on MySpace beating out Facebook because it had a head start. Facebook was uh, was only open to college students when it first started. And it just, you know, it seemed like it was, it's, it didn't seem as feature rich as MySpace did. So how mm-hmm. could MySpace lose to Facebook? Very effectively is the way that turned out. Uh, so News Corp sold uh, MySpace off uh, in 2011 for... $35 million to Specific Media, which was a group of investors. So from $580 million when they purchased it to $35 million when they sold it. Uh, that's not a success story. And, you know, News Corp did try a couple of times to revitalize MySpace. You know, they tried to make it more of a music discovery kind of social network. But by then, I think it was too late. Because uh, MySpace was one of those places where bands, a lot of bands had made their web presence known. Absolutely. Uh, they used, uh, because it had great tools. If you mm-hmm. were a band and you wanted to share some of your music and build up a, a, a fan base, it, it was a good resource. But there are other resources online now that do that just as well 
or better in some cases. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just was too little, too late. And so News Corp sold it off for $35 million, eating that loss. And uh, and we'll see what specific media does with it, mm-hmm. if anything, or if they just end up cannibalizing it and turning it into something else. We, honestly, we don't know right now. And uh, just to, uh, one last little note, um, HowStuffWorks.com. Oh, right. We were acquired, I've heard of them. We were acquired uh, several years ago by Discovery Communications. Yes. So, uh, you know, we were part of another company for a while and were acquired back uh, shortly after I joined, um, within a year that I joined, I think, or maybe a year and a half. Um, Two months for me. Yeah. So uh, we we ended up getting acquired by Discovery Communications, and now we are part of that company. So, uh, yeah, it's... Um, and it was interesting, you know. It was a it was a different culture, but it was very complementary to what we already had. Mm-hmm. So I think, as far as transitions go, ours was probably one of the smoothest I've ever seen. And that wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Uh, the acquisition deal that was about to happen to me before that last commercial break kind of fell through at the last minute. Uh, it's a bummer. I was totally ready to get an Apple tattoo, but looks like I'm just going to have to hold off for now. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line over on social media on Facebook and Twitter. It is techstuffhsw. Pop on over to our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You'll find links to all the old episodes there as well. And hey, Check out our uh, merchandise store. It's over at tpublic.com slash techstuff. There's also a link from our website. Every purchase you make over on that site goes to help our show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 